0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond, the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom is here with me. Good morning. Good to see you. Greetings, Tom. Trent is on the phone with us. Trent, how are you, buddy?
1: Doing good, man. How are y'all?
0: Good. So this is your first time calling in on our new system. I know we had some trouble When we did one on the phone with you way back, that was probably even in the wintertime. So hopefully this one will sound a lot better on your end while we're doing it and then on after we record it as well. So we appreciate you taking time out of your morning to visit with us.
1: Absolutely.
0: The
2: kids started school, Trent?
1: The kids have started school. They're a week into it.
2: And how's that? So far
1: so good.
2: That's what well, I wanted to hear. That's fantastic. The in-person learning's fantastic right now. My Our kids have gone back as well, and they're pretty pleased so far. So you got one in kindergarten now, right, Trent?
1: Yeah, my oldest one started kindergarten. So far, she loves it. All I mean, she's complained about so far is having to take a nap, and I told her I'm going to record that play it back for her one day.
2: Yeah, when yeah. she gets to our age and you're kind of thinking, oh, <laughs> I wish I could take a nap during <laughs> no. the day. Question. No kidding. So how did Mom and Daddy handle kindergarten?
1: Well, Mom and Daddy handled it a lot worse than, than she did. She she's excited and has loved every day of it. I guess we're used to it now, but that first day was uh it was kind of eye opening and and the realization that our oldest one's old enough to go to kindergarten.
2: We're not quite there yet. We'll be there next year, but man, downhill from here now, brother. Let me tell you, downhill from here. Yeah, Tom. You well, gotta,
1: somebody about the next day after that told me that they were about to move their daughter in dorm for college. And so then I realized that I really didn't have anything to complain about, so it got a lot better.
2: And Jason was going to say, we, we have a sixth grader and a freshman in high school. Well, I, I couldn't remember if it was eighth or ninth grade. So the freshman in high school is a little, that's really difficult to wrap my brain around right now.
1: Man, no kid in those next four years is going to go by in blink of an eye too.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about that part. Wow, wow, you're old, Tom. Stop, <laughs> <laughs> stop. stop, just stop. I, mean, I remember when Claire was a baby. You're old. I'm trying to come <laughs> to grips with that myself. Yeah, this is this is the year of turning fifty. So that's that's difficult to stomach too. <laughs> hey,
1: you look good for it, man.
2: Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm trying. Trent, we saw you the other day at the
0: field day at Verona. So I'm driving. I guess I was on Highway 82, one of those big pine fields over there, west of Starkville somewhere. And uh, it occurred to me that would be a good question to ask you, given the fact that you're from central Mississippi. So how many pine trees do you think there are on Interstate 20, say, between like – Vicksburg, and you pick it, the Mississippi line on the east side.
1: Man, I don't know that I could count that high. Well, just I think a, it's a solid line of pine trees on that, that highway.
0: Take a stab. I, mean, I have, no, I I have, have no, no idea. I don't either. I have zero concept, but it's a lot. But you could be on I-20 between, I don't know, Monroe and Shreveport, or you could be on I-20 in Georgia. You really can't tell the difference.
1: I know any time that I'm around a forestry group and, and I'll say something about a 2 million acre bean crop, You know, thinking that's a lot of acres, and the forestry grab I chime in with a 20 million acre pine tree crop, and then that kind of makes me feel silly. Andy Ezell's
0: always good for that. He always has a, a good little quip about how big the timber
2: crop is And I remember my forestry days and all the young guys I went to forestry school oh, that's right. talking about their dad and their granddad saying that we're pretty sure we're going to cut down every tree in this state and then we're going to have to start somewhere else. I should have asked
0: Tom the forestry question. No, I, I that's forgot. okay. You don't need to. Tom, how many fine trees do you think there are on I-20 between Vicksburg and the Mississippi line or the Alabama line? A lot. Close enough. Trent, we're starting to turn some beans we got some beans that have some harvest aids on them so seem like we're winding down here on this crop so well uh, aside from the the super late replanted portion give folks an idea where we are on soybeans in the state
1: well like you said we we started uh, a couple weeks ago here and there putting out some harvest aids and of course those applications have ramped up in the the last few days and so most of the, let's call it the normal crop, the, the 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 first crop that we planted this year, most of those acres are anywhere from early to mid R five all the way up to R seven to R eight with harvest aids put on them. So I'm sure that that section of our, our acres, which is the, the bulk of our acres, I guess, are, are approaching the end now. We still need to catch a few rains here and there to finish filling out some pods, but some are completely finished and it won't be long, and we'll some combines in full swing so excited about that of course and then on to our second crop, that replant crop from the flooded acres uh, during June you know those of course varied in planting date from late June shortly after the, the water got off some of those acres to on into July and in some cases there, there was some planted the first of August. Most of those acres uh, at least the earliest ones are, are already R2 you know moving on into R3 some of the uh, later planting ones there probably sitting there close to R1, just given the planting date, it doesn't take long for them to come out of the ground and, and begin blooming. So they're obviously a good ways behind. I, I know that we'll, we'll have our, our fair share of challenges with insects and we'd love to get Tom's thoughts on, on diseases on some of those acres, but obviously a long way to go to get to the end on those.
2: What kind of questions are you taking from some of those? consultants that are looking at those and retailers that are looking at some of those replant acres right now, Trent?
1: Most of the questions around those acres have, have just been kind of economic related. You know, what you think as far as various management practices that we normally do to our bean crop, should we do to this lake crop? I guess we're given given the stage that, the, that those acres are in now. Of course, there's, there's insect sprays going on right now, as needed, but, but the main question I think I'm getting is you know, what about fungicides? Where do we where do we stand on doing some of that? And you just kinda how do we how do we manage those moving forward?
2: And and I'm getting some of the same questions. I'm handling those as much as I can on a field by field basis and and what what really has gone on. Most of the people have questioned, you know, where do we stand when it comes to most diseases or what what do you think we're gonna encounter over the next few weeks? And what I've said to them is is as of right now where we sit we don't have any soybean rust in the state and that would be the one that i would be concerned about and i think that should be the one that we should really put in the back of our mind moving forward for the rest of the season so don't necessarily jump out there and make an automatic but do something more from a curative standpoint if we get into that situation and that's still a really big if at this standpoint
1: i completely agree i think that regardless of what we do management-wise those acres it it should be on an as-needed basis uh, where we're obviously starting behind the eight ball on on yield potential given the replant date not to say that we we can't cut a good crop off of it just you know it just depends on how the weather treats us moving forward till we get to the end and and anything can change till we get those beans in the in the combine and headed out of the field. So that's the same thing that I've I've been telling folks to just manage as needed basically. And and whatever we think we can afford to put into it based on the yield potential that we observe uh, at that time.
2: Well, and my biggest concern was, anybody that had to replant following that flood, it's going to be a much more expensive crop because you start considering any of the insecticide inputs that you might have. So spending the money on the fungicide may not necessarily be the first effort that you really need to focus on. Be more concerned about managing something that that you could run across like red-banded stink bug or just stink bugs in general and any of the rest of those major defoliators in places. And, And I think that's really what they should consider the most important
1: need right now. Yeah, I think that's great advice.
2: Trent, in those partially
0: replanted fields, so, you know, the fields that we replanted the bottom quarter to half or more, whatever it ended up being, have you had any conversations with folks about how they're managing those and particularly thinking about the irrigation? And I think we we probably talked about this, and I don't know if we did it on the podcast or not, but when that happened, you know, thinking about this time of year, when we're wrapping up irrigation on the top side of the field, but we still need water on the bottom side of the field. Have you had any conversations about that?
1: Yeah, a few. And, and, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's location dependent and soil texture dependent and all those things. I, obviously, depending on, you know, the majority of what the field was, most folks have been managing the original crop based on, on it. Cause that's where the bulk of the yield potential lays. So, you know, it hasn't been too complicated, I guess, to, to date as far as an irrigation management standpoint because of being able to just to, to focus on that crop. But if that crop's finished, that does beg the question of what do you do with the, with the rest of the field? And my, my first thoughts on it when, when somebody asks that question is, is soil texture, but it, it's really hard for me to get excited about running water for many more days beyond where we, where we stand right now certainly don't want to run the risk of an irrigation event and then getting into some early fall range or something that, that would cause a nightmare for, for getting, getting those crops out of the field. So it will get complicated in the coming weeks. You know, I, I think most folks are just kind of going to let, you know, see what happens and, and, and just kind of let that crop dictate what it needs based on its potential and whether or not they're willing to, to Continue to manage it with from an irrigation standpoint, or or just forget the water and then and, and let it be, you know, a dry landfill from this point forward, or
2: what? Well, and I think the rain over the last week has been really scattered throughout most places, especially across the delta. You know, it rained pretty pretty good in Stoneville last weekend, but you get much north of here, and when I say much north, I'm talking ten miles north of the experiment station in Stoneville. It didn't rain; they were watering soybeans at Choctaw right there on sixty one. And you get north of there into Cleveland and it rained they don't have to water anything so any of those rainfall events we've had the last 10 days have been really scattered and they certainly were you know yesterday dating back to to Saturday whatever that date would be I think what today's the 19th actually
0: yeah I mean at my house I've gotten yeah you know, I got a good rain Saturday afternoon night I was trying to think when that was but yeah Saturday afternoon and night and then I got another inch and a half last night anything on that latitude pretty good Uh, but like you said you know made a pretty big circle the other day and it's dry in some areas. you know pivots running saw pipe running on some cotton
2: the last 10 days i've been all the way well i wouldn't say all the way verona and then south down to fort adams and natchez and that area and i'd say exceptional soybean crop in most places i was really impressed with with the dry land fields in southwest mississippi and then all the way up around verona i mean some of those soybean fields just look tremendous at this point and and i'm sure you feel the same way trent
1: yeah you know we've reached the point in the season and i usually start getting excited a few weeks prior to, to this calendar date every year just when you kind of see the especially on good years when we see the things shaping up to, to have a lot of potential. But I try to curb that excitement, obviously, because a lot can happen before you, before you get the crop out of the field. But where we sit right now, again, we got two different crops out there. But focusing on our, our normal crop, our, our early season production through our, our May planted and even even some of those early June planted beans that went in before the flood, You know, every one of those acres looks to have outstanding potential compared to some of our more recent drier years. I think we've had some favorable weather and, and, you know, obviously we have a lot of solid management and and good genetics out there that that play an important role in all this. You know, really, I, I think it could be said that a lot of these acres probably have record breaking yield potential as we, as we sit today.
0: Trent, a point we made with Brian last week and Drew as well for irrigation was the number of on-farm sites that those guys have and their programs. So how many on-farm locations do you have with your extension program?
1: Well, we set set out the year to have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 35. We lost two or three. Due to to the flood, that you know, we didn't, we weren't able to do anything. We tried to keep them, and it didn't work out. But so we're we're in the in the thirty two, thirty three location range right now.
0: And does that I mean, I always hear it. Tom. You said
2: we grow beans, in how many counties? Seventy counties, something on the order of seventy four to seventy six out of the eighty two counties, give or take, depending on the year.
0: So, Trent, do those thirty plus locations? Those pretty much encompass all four corners of the state or reasonably all four corners of the
1: state? Most years we try to get it. And then, of course, whether depending on, on implementing these course, different programs. Yeah. So where we sit this year, most everything is a little way south of I-20 and north is, is where it fell this time around. But yeah, we, our goal is to, to put it around everywhere. But regardless of that, you know, we do have, all of our different production systems, you know, represented by that. I mean, Delta locations, you know, different Creek bottom locations in the hills and prairie locations in the hills and things of that nature.
0: Are the majority of those sites devoted to variety evaluations in those different environments?
1: 70% are are variety evaluations. You know, I've said several times, you know, in in front of groups, when I'm talking about varieties, I, I think there's more money to be made and, selecting the, the correct variety than anything else that we can do uh, currently in a, in a soybean crop. So yeah, we, we do put a lot of emphasis on, you know, variety data. And then of course, sometimes we just we just let the year show what we need. So like, for example, this year we've had some, we've come across some fertility problems. and We've installed some programs on some large field scale kind of things to, to try to address those situations. And then Year in, year out, Tom and I both do, we, we, we have a, an on-farm fungicide evaluation program where we try to get some large-block automatic fungicide timings out with some untreated checks in there to, to kind of monitor things from that standpoint. And, you know, just region-specific, for example, uh, iron that's not a that's not a huge problem around the state, but where it's a problem, it is a huge problem and it's more isolated into that Black Prairie region in East Mississippi so we'll we'll do things year in year out to uh, try to come up with management solutions for that problem.
0: The point I wanted to make with that is that's a big program and there's a lot of travel involved in that a lot of logistics involved in that and a lot of cooperation too and of course that's supported by the Mississippi Soybean Promotion Board and so for folks listening, that's the kind of effort that goes into Trent's program and, and Brian's cotton program and Drew's irrigation program. and Of course, the, the other commodities as well have, have similar programs, but the scope of those and the scale is really important to get the best information and then, two to make sure that all the different areas are covered so uh, that's a big effort and we appreciate you and your folks doing that Trent
1: we have a lot of pride that we take in it, and, and I you know I think we generate some good stuff every year that that helps a lot of people not not only the cooperators that that work with us but also other producers you know in those regions and so you know I I'll obviously want to say a special thank you to the soybean promotion board for supporting that because we certainly couldn't put forth a an effort in a, in a program of this size without their support and, and then all of our cooperators too, you know, they, they these guys take time out of their day to visit with us and work with us and, uh, in, in whatever facet of that program that we're trying to do. And then of course, my, my staff and students, those guys, they're, they're incredible and we certainly couldn't do any of it without them and, and their efforts I'm appreciate that. So Jason, here we are on the, on the front end, I guess, I've seen a lot of harvest aid applications and beans, and I mean, we can talk about our, our different products that are available to use, but obviously Paraquat is is one that, that has predominantly been used in, in years past for the harvest aid application in soybeans. Can you give a, an update on the EPA's evaluation of the Paraquat label?
0: Well, they've made a decision, and I don't remember what the date on that was, but it's been in the past couple of weeks, and we know this was something in these uh, along these lines was coming. We've heard about the closed systems that are required, the closed containers that are required. So what amounts to a, a lock and load on the two and a at least, and then the, a different system for the bulk tanks. And so we knew a, a lot of new restrictions were coming. Training. Is required now for handling paraquat we've talked about those different things at least in meetings I'm not sure if we've ever brought it up on this uh podcast or not but one of the things that uh, i guess at this point last year and even for sure into the fall uh, that we heard and were concerned about was zero aerial applications for paraquat which obviously cuts into the way we operate here at least in the delta part of Mississippi with harvest aids on soybeans, and like you said, Trent, Paraquat being our preferred treatment. So as this decision was made in the past couple weeks or so, we didn't completely lose aerial applications, but they've been heavily restricted by the label update. So the restriction is for aerial applications, 350 acres per day per applicator, interpret that like you want to, to me, for all practical purposes, that is a heavy, heavy restriction on aerial applications of that particular product. So begs the question, Trent, what are our other alternatives to Paraquad? I know you've done a lot of work on that over the years, so I think that deserves some attention at this point.
1: Yeah, well, there's, there's a handful of labeled products for use as harvest aid and soybeans and and some of them are more specific to weed management, you know, in preparation of harvest than it is actually plant management. For example, uh, you know, glyphosate has a pre harvest, you know, label in soybeans and aim has a pre harvest uh, label in soybeans, but both of those products in our crop would be more tailored towards weed management. So The way we do things, you know, we, sure, we, we have some weed problems and, and we, we go out with harvest aids to, to knock those green weeds back in preparation. But the bulk of our harvest aid applications are intended to, to speed the crop along and get the combine in a few days faster. So when we're looking at it from that perspective, that really limits our options down to paraquat, sodium 8 and and sharpen as the three that, that have activity on feeding the crop along and, and, and finishing it. So the bulk of our acres, I think, in, in recent years have received, a, you know, the paraquat application or a combination of paraquat and sodium chlorate. And then, you know, of course, we we see some acres that may receive a, a sharpen application as well. So back to this aerial application thing, you know, outside of paraquat, our, our options are sodium chlorate and sharpen.
0: I mean, sodium chlorate's been around a long time. And this is its basic use pattern uh, across the crops that it's used in. So, effectiveness of sodium chlorate as a desiccant on soybeans compared with paraquat. You
1: know, at the end of the day, all three of those, paraquat, sharpened, sodium chlorate, all three of them do the job. Uh, they do the job differently. They take take different amounts of times, and then of course they they make them um, with some baggage. Uh, sodium chlorate is a fine product, however, it is a true desiccant. So, as a true mm-hmm. desiccant, it runs the inherent risk of uh, shattering more so than maybe your other two products that we're that we're talking about, and that can be a problem. I mean, it nobody can predict the weather and what it's going to do. I, I, I this week for example. I've watched the percent chance change daily this week, and you know, an amounts change daily in different regions. So, you know, you you got to make the right, this the best decision that you can based on the information at hand. But you know, I've heard some folks uh, you know make the comment that spraying sodium chloride, you need to have the combine sitting on the turn rate. You know that 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 may be on the extreme of things, but if you do have that that issue of potentially. Uh, having increased shattering potential as a result of using that tree Jessica. But as, a, as far as drying the crop down and remove weather or delays of harvest and all things from the equation, they all three can do the job. And-
0: the pre-harvest interval for Paraquat is 15 days. But all that aside, if you have those three treatments side by side and you're just evaluating them, what is the comparison – among those three time-wise on days from application to acceptable desiccation?
1: I know we're removing the pre-harvest intervals from this equation when we're talking about this, but also remove excessive greenness from the equation as well because they'll they'll respond differently if we have excess green skin and things of that nature. If we've got a crop that's going to dry down like it's supposed to, and and we're going out there with a harvest day to make an application, to speed it along, then what you would be looking at as far as time-wise, Paraquat would be the fastest. It, it, would, it would dry down fairly quick. And then sodium chlorate and, and sharpen would, would probably be pretty well hand-in-hand hand between the two. The, the label on sodium chlorate says make application within you know, 10 days from harvest. So basically make the application and expect to have the combine in there 10 days later. And then the sharpen, they will actually have a three-day pre-harvest interval. But, and I, I think most folks that have used sharpen or evaluated sharpen would agree that it, it's more like seven days, five, six, seven days before it really gets to a harvestable state. So, you know, you're you're on past that pre harvestable. So, both sodium chloride and sharpen would usually look at more like a week, and then depending on the weather and things of that nature. Uh, Paraquat would, would be three or four or five days in, in terms of taking it from what it was when you sprayed it to getting it ready to run a combine through. And, of course, like I mentioned, the greener it is, the longer that any of them are going to take to get to that level of running the combine through it.
0: Sure. So if the weather forecast is clear, then this new restriction just adds a little bit of planning to it and you know use the sharpen application or the sodium chlorate application in an effort to get that crop dried down and and, and just kind of project out your harvest schedule a little bit uh, and again I, I qualify that by saying assuming that the weather is clear or the forecast is clear
1: so that's exactly what i would do i mean it's it's always required a little bit of planning you know no nobody needs to go out and and make an application across the entire farm. Uh, you know, just basically do it with keeping up with your, your combines and your harvest operations. And spray time spray at a time, but I, I think this will add a whole, uh, uh, an additional level to that management plan and making sure that the appropriate acres are treated and, and, again, still keep up with that combine.
2: As usual, we'd like to thank our regular listener base. Uh, be aware that you can get in touch with us if you need any, you know, one-on-one expertise. If it's something that's a burning question that you have, feel free to track us down. We're pretty easy to get hold of on a cell phone, send us an email, contact us direct message on Twitter. If you use that, that's definitely something that most of us do late into the evening, depending on who we are and who contacts us in time of year. I do not
0: do do it late into the evening. Jason
2: says he does not. There are some evenings I do. (laughs)
0: I have a bedtime.
2: I understand. I do too. I, I still get text messages late into the night and early in the morning from people outside of this area code. But be aware that that's a good way to get in touch with us if you need any one-on-one help or information. We, we really appreciate the continued comments about the podcast. And Trent, uh, we'd like to thank you for taking the time this morning to sit down and discuss these issues with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Trent.